0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Job chapter 7. Today we continue our study in this book where God is showing us His thinking about suffering. Job 5 and verse 7 is a key verse where it says man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. If you start a fire, there's only one direction those sparks are going. And when a child is born, what is certain for life is trouble. But what God is doing is using that trouble to take our attention, put it on himself, and to work in the lives of saints who are suffering God's children it's necessary as we continue to re, uh, re as we continue in this series to review two major themes that this book teaches us first of all when God's children suffer it is always for the ultimate purpose of his glory and then the good of his people Now, these statements should never become trivial to us. If they become mundane, if we uh, uh, hear them and, and don't focus on the meaning, it will affect us down the road. Trouble is coming. But when it comes, there's always, always, always a purpose. And so... This statement, these statements give us the needed footing because of a second major theme that this book teaches us, and that is that God is not obligated to show us his purposes when we suffer. Nowhere in the Bible does God guarantee you you're going to have full knowledge of what he's doing. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. In fact, frankly, he's so great that if he tried to explain it to us, a lot of it we wouldn't get anyway. But he knows, and he's never promised to have to tell us. Now, you parents believe this. How many times have you said something to your kids and they've come back and said, why? (laughs) This big, why? And you know, if I try to give an explanation... Probably wouldn't get it anyway. And so he doesn't have to tell us. Now let me just make this practical this morning. It's interesting that Denise is here with us and she made a a comment to Renee and I yesterday. Our families are very close. And one time my dad, I don't even remember the situation, but my dad shared with our families a spiritual lesson a guiding principle that God had taught him. And it is this guiding principle. Uh, my dad, career truck driver. People have asked me, is your dad a preacher? Well, no, my dad's a truck driver, but he was the best preacher truck driver that I ever met, ever knew. Uh, but in his career, there was a time when he felt led of the Lord to buy his own truck. Uh, over the roads, so we bought uh, a Kenworth, he learned, later called it a K-wobbler. But he bought that thing, went on the road, and it was, if if any truck can be defined as a lemon, that was a lemon. He should have painted it yellow. That, That thing was in the shop more than it was on the road. But God had led my dad to buy that truck. By the way, my mom hated that truck. But anyway, that's another. But he went on the road with it, and it, just, it was one, one issue after another. But here was the principle God taught him with that truck. God may lead you in his will, but, and this is twofold, he, he doesn't always have to show you the outcome right away. He might. Uh, but the outcome may not be what you expected. And I know in his own heart, he battled, did I make the right decision? When he sold that truck, my mom and dad took a heavy loss financially. But let me tell you what God taught us with that truck. When we went through Christian school and then all of us, my brother, sister, and I went to Bible college, we finished all of that and we didn't owe a dime. Now, that's not because I had a high-paying job and and there, there was money sitting around. God was showing us with the lemon... I can still meet your needs. Let me tell you what else God did. There was a day that my dad was out west driving, going down a highway, wide open, 60 miles an hour, whatever he was doing, pulled off an exit ramp to get fuel, pulled into a truck stop, and the front tire of that truck fell off. The axle, it, it, it just broke. It fell off. And my dad, looking back, said, you know, five minutes before I was doing 60 miles an hour, if that tire had come off, I wouldn't be here. So God let him into his will with that truck because God had more important lessons for us to learn than keeping a truck going on the highway. He was in control. Recently, we were in a series where we followed the children of Israel out of Uh, Egypt and into the wilderness. Remember that series? And what did God say to Israel about that? I led you out that I might lead you in so you can know me as God, but see that you can trust me. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's what he told Israel. That's what he is doing, and that's what God is trying to show us here in the book of Job. We also have already seen that there may be spiritual warfare between God and Satan. And our steadfast faith alone, our loyalty to God in the midst of all that, only through God's power can we stay loyal. But that may be the very thing that delivers the enemy a humiliating defeat. Have you ever thought about that? I want my circumstances to be different. Well, maybe God is engaged in battle with the enemy, and your faithfulness will win the day. And that alone is enough reason to just trust him. Now victory will slip away if we give in to Job's thinking that we studied in chapter three. What were the thoughts that he was having there? Well, it would have been better if I had not been born. Well, that brings into question the one who gave life and caused you to be born. He also thought this, death would be better than living. That's not from God. He holds the appointment book, does he not, for when we're born and when he's done with us here? And then Job also thought, why does God give life to those he knows will have miserable lives? How? Oh, we can sit here piously, but all of us have had these thoughts, similar thoughts, as adults. But that will not help you in your suffering to bring glory to God and to see his desired end. Ultimately, Job's thoughts, chapter 3, were focused on escape rather than eternity. And more specifically, we can go to the New Testament now. Job obviously didn't have that benefit. We have that benefit. And we can see that Job... And you and I, as God's children, need to be focused on eternity, not escape. You say, well, if I escape, I can go to eternity. No, no, no. God's timing, His will. But our, inher- our eternal inheritance ought to be what we're focused on. And that comes into light in Ephesians 1 and verse 11. Where Paul, writing to that church, is talking about the inheritance we have in Christ And he says this, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. His will, his own will. And as we submit to his will, there is an inheritance waiting for us. It's been preplanned. And by the way, at the end of Job, is there not an inheritance waiting for him? Now, as material things, God doubles it all. That's what God had in store, but he also had more important lessons for Job to learn. So today we're going to continue to compare what Job says with what we know to be true about God. In his devastated condition, Job defends himself through nine speeches. Now, he's got some friends that are giving speeches too. And this series isn't going to be as long as going through all their speeches. But we're going to look at parts of Job's speeches, the main themes, so that we can learn what God has for us there. Job sits before a prejudiced jury. They've already found him guilty because of hidden sin that he doesn't have. (laughs) All right? But in this courtroom, there is a perfect judge. And the judge is going to listen to what the friends are saying. And, And we already know, end of the book... They're going to say things that are not true of God. But let's not forget, Job's going to say some things that are not true of God, too. Now, he's subtle about it, and he kind of he, he maneuvers around direct accusal of the Lord, but he is saying it, and it starts in his second speech here. So court is in session. Let's listen in. I've entitled the message this morning, Job's first defense. His first defense. We've already examined his first speech. That's chapter 3. His second speech happens in chapters 6 and 7. Again, uh, we're not going to take time in this study to preach through those exegetically. Take every verse and, and uh, but we do need to understand this about Job's speeches. He's a brilliant man. He has walked with God And his words are the deepest searchings of the soul. So the benefit of reading what Job says is it's going to identify the way you and I do think when things really get hot. It can define what what we think. But they also remind us of this, and this is a practical book. When someone is in deep distress, that is not the time to critique their every word. So Job tells us how to suffer, but it also tells us how not to respond to those who are suffering. And as Job said, these three friends, they're miserable comforters. (laughs) I would be better if you all had just stayed home. That's that's what he's saying. All right, so don't critique every word. (gasps) Oh, they said, put yourself in their shoes and just listen and pray. So in his first defense, he makes two points, two main points. Here's the first one. I am insignificant. I am insignificant. Look at verse 11, chapter seven. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint. In other words, when I get sleep, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. Yes, verse 15, suicidal thoughts. I'd be better off if I just hung myself or if someone suffocated me. I loathe it, I would not live all way. let me know, for my days are vanity. I'm insignificant, is really what he's saying here. Now verse 16 is literally, I loathe my life, I would not live forever, let me alone, for my days are but a breath. In fact, the last part of that verse, what I just quoted you, that's the actual Hebrew. Now, in the first speech, Job has already intimated God doesn't know what he's doing by giving Job life. And we looked at that. Not not true, not helpful. In this speech, he accuses God indirectly by asking why God would afflict Job's insignificant life. Now, many have asked the question here about Job's words. And it's interesting studying for this message just to see what the commentators have said. And even they quote some of the ancient rabbis and what they thought about Job's words. And it really boils down to this. This question, is God okay with Job's complaining here? Is he okay? Is it all right for you to complain in these circumstances? That's that's a legitimate question. And by the way... It is okay to talk to God and bear your heart. In fact, God told Moses, share your arguments with me. Don't argue with me, but share your arguments. Let me know how you're struggling. Tell me the thoughts that are on your heart. But as we do that, as we pour out our heart, say, we should never ask God why. My response, why? He's Father. But don't accuse Don't diminish who he is as your father, your God. But share your heart. But what Job is saying here is, I'm not going to restrain my my lips. I'm just going to share what comes to my mind. And when he talks about bitterness, an element of bitterness is always blaming. So it is accusatory. It is pointing the finger back at God and saying, what are you doing? Now, in verse 11, he admits admits he's complaining with an unguarded tongue and, again, a bitter, blaming heart. Is God okay with Job saying, I am insignificant, but have been a burden to you? And, And essentially what he's saying is, would you just leave me alone? Is God okay with that? Well, no, because it is through him that we live and move and have our being. If God left you alone, you're dead. You do need his intervention all the time. Don't let the flesh deceive you into thinking, if God left me alone, my trouble would go away. No, if God left you alone, you you have no idea what kind of trouble is coming your way. All right, so we've got to rethink that. At the end of the book, we'll see God is not okay with what Job is saying. In Job 1.22, we're told after the initial assault by Satan, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He did not charge God with folly. But now he crosses the line, just like we would be tempted to do facing harsh circumstances. So I'm going to keep reminding us, we're not standing in judgment of Job. We're going to look at his words, we're going to see what God thinks about those words, But these are here for our warning. If you had lost everything and now your health had, had failed, you would struggle here with what's happening here. Now here's the point. Though life may overwhelm you in your frailty, your life cannot overwhelm God in his sovereignty. Take a look at that. Though your life may overwhelm you in your frailty, your life cannot overwhelm God in His sovereignty. God has never wrung His hands about anything. God has never had an anxious moment about you personally or our race collectively. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 138.8, and Brother Mark, I'm pretty sure that's the right reference, all right? (laughs) Psalm 138.8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. And it's with that assurance he asks then this question, or makes this request rather, with that assurance. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. You are not insignificant to God who gave you life. Your circumstances prove that he is working. He is not frustrated I'm sorry, he is not forsaking you or frustrated with you. You are insignificant in comparison to God, yes, but we have the greatest significance in comparison to the rest of His creation. Your size doesn't matter. The greatness of your God does matter. So Job's conclusion about his life being insignificant leads to a second main point as he tries to defend himself. And here it is. Now bear with me here, but here's the point. God is a tormentor. And again, we sit piously and say, I would never say, you've said it. By the way, so have I. Lord, are you playing games with me? Don't don't you know this about me and then you just allow this to happen? God is not a tormentor. That's what Job is thinking. Now, the text proves it. Let's look at verse 17. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, exalt him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? What's interesting about verse 17 is Job has already concluded some right things about God. He knows, but he's bringing that into question. Verse 18. And that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every, and what's the next word? Moment. You're watching. You're scrutinizing. You've got the divine two by four ready. And if I misstep, whack. Verse 19. How long wilt thou depart from me, nor uh, let me... How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. Now let's stop. He knows he is a sinner, but already he's listening to his flesh. There must be some sin that I'm guilty of. And at this point, he's already had a friend tell him that. So his flesh is in league with now this friend and, and he's starting to believe what is not true. You must cling to the truth in these times. Now believe what others of your flesh are saying to you. What does God know you to be? Let's read on. O thou preserver of men, question mark, why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity for now I sh- For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. All right. Lord, why are you tormenting me? Job implies here, and in other places, God is the great scrutinizer of every man's move in order to judge him for the slightest failure. Even if God lets him sleep, man's dreams torment him. That's what he says. Even when I sleep, I have nightmares. Verse 14. God won't leave him alone long enough for him to be able to swallow his spit, verse 19. That's, wow. Now beware, again, your flesh in the midst of suffering can also attack your mind with similar thoughts. And remember, this is coming from a man who walked with God. This is why I'm so burdened for this assembly of believers. And every pastor, the pastors that are here, uh, my brother in law preaching in Waukesha this morning. If you and I don't walk with God in the good times, we will not be prepared for the hard times. What you are doing now, the way you are living now, is preparing you for when things hit the fan. And it sobers me to see Job struggle, and he walked with the Lord are you prepared? Are you ready? Now let's take a closer look at the important question Job asked in verse 17. Let's look back at it again. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? These words will take the student of scripture back to Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 6. In fact, this, my mind went here when I, when I read Job's words. And so let's hold our place and go to Psalm 8. Job Psalms in your Bible. Go to Psalm 8, just a few pages over. And let's see what David says as he considers this same truth. Psalm 8, look at verse 6. I'm sorry. Verse four: What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, Job was written before this psalm, and we, I believe personally, that David is quoting Job. All right, but David asks the same questions. Now, watch: For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And has crowned him with glory and honor. I believe by Job's words, he understood that same truth. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, in my King James Bible, the word things is italicized. Thou hast put all under his feet. All what? All of his creation. So what Job is saying is not God's estimation of man. It's not how God views you, sister in Christ, brother in Christ. That's not how he thinks of you. Man's size is insignificant when he considers the stars. That's verse 3. You and I are no comparison. (laughs) I mean, we're a speck on a speck. Oh, there's some big stars out there, but in God's estimation about what's really important and valuable, his eyes on you. And God has put all things under man's dominion. Verse 6. So Hebrews 2 7 expands on Psalm 8 with these words. Consider them, please. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels and crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. That is God's estimation of you. So when your life starts to unravel, and your flesh wants to rise up and accuse God, you need to think about what God thinks about you. Not what the enemy says, your friends may think, what your flesh is telling you, what does God say? You are not insignificant to the God who gave you life. Your your circumstances only prove that he is working. He is not forsaking you or frustrated with you. You are insignificant in comparison to God, but we have the greatest significance in comparison to the rest of his creation. Jesus didn't die on a cross for stars and planets. He died for you, for me. So Job's conclusion about his life being insignificant leads to uh, this second point. Again, that God is a tormentor. No, he's not. So when you are tormented, deny the temptation to think of God as the tormentor. Instead, remember, you are the work of God's heart and his hands created in his own image. He didn't say that about anything else. In fact, he spoke the rest of it into creation. But when he made man, he bent down and used his hands to sculpt you Now, our great-grandparents, but here we are. God's purpose for this earth centers on his being glorified through man. He didn't send his son to die for the creation. Jesus died for whosoever will. As one commentator stated, God makes much of man for he was meant to be God's surrogate on earth. That's true. We represent him here. God's interest here is not negative only to pounce when we mess up. So let's conclude. Are you insignificant? Help me answer the question. No. No. Now, you can stand next to a mountain and feel insignificant. Not asking that. I mean, no, there's not a whole lot to us. And out of ourselves, we're... Or glorified dirt. But there is no greater miracle walking on planet Earth than you and me. Just ask a doctor. Okay. So you're not insignificant. Your flesh will tell you so, especially when you collide with negative circumstances, including the ones you made. Have you ever said negative things about you? You dummy, what were you thinking? Have you had, had that? You talk to yourself? I don't know. And by the I've done that before. That was stupid. Ah, and then down we go. You're not insignificant. Sinful. but not insignificant. Your life is significant. It's got a tormentor who delights in whacking you with every misstep. No. So I want to close by taking us back to Hebrews chapter 2. But this time I want you to turn over there. I love comparing Scripture with Scripture because we get to see the Spirit of God working in men's hearts. Holy men of God spake as they were moved along. And and the Holy Spirit continues to develop truth through the Scripture. We have it better than Job. He didn't have the Bible. We do. But turn to Hebrews chapter 2 and now look at God's perspective in verse 9 is where we'll, we'll start. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory. So stop. The psalmist has already told us we're a little lower than the angels. What did the creator do? He became man Right where we are. Crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of our salvation perfect through what? Sufferings. Tormentor. You'll never read greater tenderness in the Bible than right here. No, he, he loves us. He entered our suffering. He knows our torments. Verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. And by the way, that sanctification, making us into the image of Christ, that's what this is about. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them, us brethren verse 12 saying I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee I I feel bad for Job I can't imagine what he's going through But understand that ultimately the testimony of Scripture and the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews is this. This was all done to make us like Jesus so that we can bring praise to him as a result of suffering. God loved man so much he became one. He entered our suffering to ultimately deliver us from that suffering. Therefore, before this... Congregation this morning, I will declare thy name, O Lord. Unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. The worst thing that can happen to you on this planet is what God can use to be the best thing for you. That's our God. You are not insignificant and he is no tormentor. Don't listen to those lies. They won't help you in suffering. But cling to the cross, look to Jesus and let him do his perfect work. For very soon, as Job has said, we're but a breath here. It's all going to be over and we will forever be with the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, thank you for the suffering you allow in our lives. But God, help us right now to so walk with you that when the suffering comes, we cling to you. If we've been wandering away from you, it's harder to cling to you when trouble comes. But Lord, it takes humility and it takes a right opinion of God and self to continue to walk in your footsteps. So Lord, I ask that in Jesus' name this morning for this church and for myself. That you might do in us your perfect work as the perfect potter. Now Father, there are saints here who have struggled. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. Poor health getting over one problem and then another health problem immediately coming up, and, and Lord, having COVID, and then months later, getting it again, and, and Lord, we go on and on, the trouble we face, but we have you, Father. And so today, would you help us now in this time to yield to you Holy Spirit, I know you've been working as you've worked in my heart graciously. Lord, help us to respond. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.